For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Love has carried us Please rise for this reading of the gospel. Uh, today's gospel is Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Do not just say to each other, we're safe, and we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, do not extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know that whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I might not be able to that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate chaff from wheat and his winnowing with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gather the wheat into his barn, but the burning chaff, but the burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks to be God. <laughs> Thanks to be God. Good morning, Genesis, again. My name is Becky Patton, and I, for the first time, ever get to say that I'm a member here at Genesis, and I am very excited about that process that we're in right now, and this is a new place that we are as a church, and I'm excited about that. So if you want more information on that, you can actually go to our website, and you can look at that, because we are now growing into a church where we're growing up a little bit. 
and into some new things. So this week is the third week in Advent, and as um, Sally mentioned, it's a turning point, and that's why we have a different color candle. And oftentimes it's traditionally talked about as the week of joy. And when I looked at the text and I saw the words like brooding vipers and an axe to come and chop down the tree and a fire and all that stuff, I'm like going, really? Joy? Like, what does any of this have to do with it? But one of the things that I think is interesting is whenever we get into the text, one of the things we have to do is we have to look at where in the text are we and where does this land? So last week, Steve did a beautiful job of introducing us to um, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And this week, what I want to do is we're going to focus on John, who is the product of Zacharias and Elizabeth's union. Yeah, I can say that. Um, anyway, so he is a product, but he's also a byproduct of, there are, there's lots of prophecy about him. So there's a lot of things. My question, the first question of the day that I want to start with is, what do we actually know about John? And that's an all play, and here we believe all plays are so we can hear the voice of the chorus and not just the voice of the solo. So what do we really know about John? He ate bugs. <laughs> yep, he ate locusts, it says. And honey, he countered it with a chaser of honey, though, you know. So he did have a sweet tooth. What else? What do we know about him? Spot on, Joe. He, it's 400, but yes, it's the first time we've heard a prophet's voice in 400 years. Why 400? That's a great question, whoever said that. Um, the reality is, is we don't know. But it's been 400 years, and the people of Israel are hungry. So that's one thing we know about John, is that he is a, vo- a prophet that is coming forth. And prophet means to speak. So he is someone who is speaking out loud things. And part of what we know he's speaking is he's kind of speaking some things that we'll get to in just a minute, are kind of radical for the day and age he's in. So what else do we know about John? He recognized Jesus when he was still in the womb. That's right, because it says when his mother came, when she walked in Elizabeth's womb, it jumped and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know that from in the womb, John was filled with the Holy Spirit. What else? He's a voice crying in the wilderness. What does wilderness mean? a place you hear from God. Anything else we know about John? Yeah, he's Jesus' cousin. Yeah, he's, I think, yeah, cousin. He'd be his cousin, yeah. So he's actually related to Jesus. Anything else? Who was John's father? A priest? So what would that make sense for John to be? Because the only way you can be a priest in those times was if you were born into that tribe. And he was born, he's Zacharias, so he was born into the tribe, and so what would he have naturally gone into being a priest, right? And that's the first place that I want us to look at. What John did, a voice crying in the wilderness, is John actually heard something deeper within. And Tara, I wonder if it was that, place where he, as you said, he experienced God, he experienced um, the Holy Spirit in the womb, 
I wonder if that's what was stirring in him his whole life. Longing for this voice. He's hearing something else. He's hearing something call him someplace else. And so his first place he turns is literally turns away from, not away from it that they're bad, but he just turns and goes a different direction. And it's a radical direction in that day and age, you guys. When I was looking this up, what I found out is during that time, there were between 20,000 and 30,000 priests in that. So that's why people had to draw lots for when they got to go in and do the priestly stuff. But it was like that was considered a place of honor. And what do the priests actually represent? This is an all play. What? The people to God, and what was their job? Of what? Who said it? Sacrifice? Yeah, sacrifice. What did they sacrifice? It was for the sins, right? So they were sacrificing the animals for the sins. So everybody, the only way you could really um, talk about your sins or go and confess your sins was to a priest. And what did you have to do? You had to go get an animal. You had to take it in. You had to wait in line. You had to take it up, have it be sacrificed. And then ultimately, what were you given? You were given forgiveness of your sins, right? So think about, and this is where I need to go, just a couple verses before where this, these verses show up. Because uh, the verses before, it says, um, John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they'd repented of their sins and that they had turned to God to be forgiven. Do you realize how radical a statement that is in the culture that they're in? They're saying water is a place you can go to And John is just marching up, I can imagine marching up and down the Jordan, eating his bugs and his honey, and he's going back and forth. And it says he wore camel hair, had to be really itchy, I'm guessing, Um, but his attire. And so he was living out in this wilderness, and he was listening to the voice of God in a place where it was a radical difference, and he's listening to it for so long. And here's the thing, the first point I want to make is when we start to listen to God's voice, and we start letting that be what tutors us, guess what? We can't keep it captive. It doesn't want to stay in. It doesn't want to stay in. It wants to draw towards people. It wants to draw us towards people. It becomes contagious. It becomes something that we are longing to share with people, and that's where John is at. And part of it is the next verse goes down. Isaiah had spoken of John, what he had said. He is a voice shouting, shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. And that's part of why this is turning. But my deeper question is, do we know what road he's clearing? And in the text it says, the valleys will be filled, the mountains and the hills will level, and the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation that is sent from God. Now, did you wonder about... 400 years of silence, 400 years of silence, you're longing for the Messiah to come. Suddenly this guy is out and he is marching up and down and he is shouting at the top of his lungs and he is sharing it with everybody that will listen and he's just telling them, come to the water, come to the water. And I love that he doesn't get far from the source of how he wants to be with people. He stays close to the Jordan and guess what people have to do? What do they do next? It says it right in the text, the very first verse, and you guys don't have it with you, so I'll repeat it for you. It says that people, the crowds came to John. Why do you think they came? 
Why do you think these people came? For what, Joe? They're desperate for what? Do any of us really know what we need all the time? Sometimes we've just got to take it. Which is such a great lead-in. Thank you so much, Joe, for that. Because I wasn't sure I was going to get to say this word today. Um, Ekparuma is the word for come out. And it's a word that is used, it's the word that is used when Mary hurries to the hill country because she has to share something with Elizabeth. It's the word that is often translated as obey in the Greek. It is a word that is list, often translated as um, going forth. And what it means is literally you can't not go. You're, something's propelling you forward. Something is going with you. It, something is driving you forward. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever heard somebody's voice, something somebody has said, some way somebody has talked about God that has said to you, it just propels you forward and you go. And you're not really sure why, but something in you is responding. Anybody here ever experienced that? Oh, come on. None of us would be here, right? For me, one of those voices came um, 11 years ago. And I um, flew over to Ireland, and I had the opportunity to, I'd been invited to come and share some some teaching that I had on male and female, and I was invited to come and share it in Ireland with a bunch of rabbis. And I'll be honest with you, I was terrified. And I had this image of rabbis with long beards, and it was going to be this stoic thing, and I had no idea, and I didn't want to, I wanted to go, but I had to make the decision like that day, and I was leaving in t- um, like three or four days. And I remember thinking, this is stupid, this is, I just can't. And I was sitting across the table having coffee with um, Mandy Nelson, who had been my daughter's babysitter growing up, and I had mentored her in different ways, and it was like this moment, she looks across at me, and she goes, are you kidding? You have to go. You recognize this is radical. I'm like, I think it sounds stupid and crazy, and she goes, of course, it's God. And because of her, I got on a plane And I flew to Ireland with a little piece of paper that told me which bus to get on and where to get off at and a phone number to call, and I knew no one. And I was desperate for something that I could not name, but something in me was stirring, and I got in a room, and I got to study Scripture in a way where people ask questions, and a rabbi started asking me questions from this deep, deep well of love for God that forever changed my life. And in that place, I met this beautiful woman that now I get to lead worship with. I mean, she's leading worship. I'm not leading worship. Oh, please, you'd never want that. But we got to share this Sunday by accident, Sally. Sally was in that room. And I asked not long ago, I asked this rabbi, many of you know his name, Rabbi Allen. I asked him, I said, do you remember that first time I was there? Do you remember the look on my face? And he goes, big old grin on his face, and he goes, you looked like you were about six years old. And I said, I was. 
because I think deep inside of me was something I couldn't name what it was, but I knew that I wanted something more. And what I knew in that moment listening is I knew that I would never be the same. And I couldn't relate to text and scripture and God the way I had in the past, that there was something more, but I didn't know what the more was. Ekparuma is something in all of us that I think is placed there by the hand of God. I think when we are in our mother's womb, there are ways in which each and every one of us, God's character, God's life, God's love is being crafted into us in those secret hidden places. And there is a longing that when it touches with someone else, we're literally touching with the life of God in us and in another. So, of course, John's shouting, and who comes out from the text? Who comes out to see him? This is an all play. Who comes out to see him? Do you remember? Tax, oh, the, but not just the tax collectors, the corrupt tax collectors. Thank you, Greg, yeah. Oh, Dan, okay. That's okay, he can speak for you. That's really good. (laughs) We can share one voice. So who else comes out? The soldiers? What do the soldiers represent? The what? Military oppression, the, um, what'd you say? The empire, yep. What do the tax collectors represent? Traitors. (laughs) They're just modern-day pickpockets, right? That's what they are, yeah. Who else comes out? The crowds. The crowds are coming out. What's interesting, did you notice that each... Each group of people asks the same question. What should we do? So to the crowds, John says, you know, if if you have two cloaks, share one. If you've got extra food, share it. What does it require to actually share food and cloak? What would that actually require? Oh, relationship. What kind of relationship? Oh, what? Could you say louder? I'm getting deaf. Oh, intimate relationship. Maybe you might have to actually know them a little bit, right? So John's talking about intimate relationship there. What about the tax collectors? What does he tell the tax collectors? He tells them, he says, you know what? Would you quit taking more than is yours? Just quit taking it. Do your job, but don't take more. What would that require? Honesty, integrity. Oh, contentment with what you already have. Anything else? What else would it require? Ooh, to see the people that you're collecting money from as equals. Might require relationship, right? Yeah. What about the soldiers? Do you know what he tells the soldiers? He tells the soldiers, he says, would you quit making false accusations and lay down your arms? One version says, lay down your arms. Now, what would that mean for a soldier to lay down their arms? What would that require of a soldier? Their identity is literally, I was just talking to uh, Roxanne um, this, uh, at the Christmas party, and she was talking about everywhere she went in Israel, there were people who were armed. They're just armed. And um, that's, a part of, that's a part of that culture. And, um, but what I love so beautifully 
is one of the things she said is she says, I want to go back again to Israel to see the other side, why they're carrying this. She wants to see the other side. And I think there's such a vulnerability in that if they're going to lay down their arms, it means they will literally have to see the other side. Instead of watching the other side down the gun barrel, they will literally have to see people for who they are and what it is they value. So the progression of this and the question, the one thing that I heard over and over again in all the different texts when I was looking this up and studying this is John's voice is considered a transitional voice. It's a transitional voice, but it's coming from this place in the wilderness, and it is calling people to return to something that is already deep inside of them, and it's calling them to return to salvation because salvation is about connecting people with God. It's about helping people to hear the voice of God. I was having coffee this week with a friend, and I asked her, I said, what, what does, when you hear God, and I know she hears God, um, what is it like? And she's like, it's like, I can't not respond, but it disrupts everything. So I was having this conversation with my husband uh, this week, and um, you guys really, the weeks I preach, you should pray for Rick. He gets the front line of it. Because I go, I lay out outlines, and I think it's this way, and then I lay out outlines, and I think it's this way, and normally nine times out of ten, God just says, can you just be with the people there? And when I, I was talking to Rick about this and I was having this conversation about this message and everything, and he said, Becky, when I hear the voice of God, it's so much better than anything I could even imagine. So that's where I know it's God because it's beyond what I want to limit God to being. So my question you guys, is who are your transitional voices? And what have you heard? And what I'd love, I would love to sit and hear everybody's story because I love that, but you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a transitional voice that helped call you towards salvation, towards the love of God, which is at the core and the root of who God is. It is love. So think about, I want you to think about, and we're going to do something a little risky, but think about who that person is. Who's been one of your transitional voices that has called you, a voice from the wilderness just calling you into the way of salvation? Just calling you to say, you know what, there is more. I believe there's more, and I want to find the more. Because it's risky and the thing, one of the things I see in the te- text is it's disruptive. It might disrupt your image of what you, where you are, because like he's talking to people and saying, hey, you brood of vipers. Well, and I want to say he may have been a little socially awkward because of the fact he has been just hanging out in the desert and walking up and down and wearing camel's hair and eating bugs. So he may be a little socially awkward in some of the language that he uses, but... 
I think he's sincere in his call towards. Because the reality is, is it confronts these people wanted to rely on their heritage. And instead he's saying, no, mm -mm, can't do that anymore. Because there's more. There's personal, intimate relationship for each and every one of you and every single one of you longs for. We all do. We all share that in common. So I want you to think about that person. Do you have an idea? Give me a nod of heads or something when you know who that person is. Because we're going to risk something, you guys. Science tells us that when we share common breath, what we literally do is we share strength with one another. So when we sing, if you'll notice, a lot of times you might see somebody doing a little swaying. That is science that we all kind of start doing a little swaying. Because we are more us than we are I. So here's the risk. I'm on the count of three. I'm going to ask us to say the name out loud, just the first name, of someone who's been a transitional voice for you that has called you to this place of recognizing there is more and it's rooted and grounded in love. Are you game? Okay, ready? We're going to say it loud too, okay? Like you want, it, you want them to know, okay? So on three... Three, no, on three, one. <laughs> I'm so used to doing breathing exercises where you count backwards, I'm sorry. Okay, ready, we're gonna start. One, two, three. Ben. Jonathan wants to do it again. We're gonna do it one more time. Do you know Jonathan? Do you know somebody you want, that you really appreciate? Do you have a name? Okay, well, let's, you're going to use that name. We're going to do it one more time for Jonathan, okay? On three, we're going to say the name out loud. One, two, three. Ben. What does it feel like to say that name out loud? Joyful. Ooh, kind of scary and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Thankful, cathartic, because here's the thing that in this text I can't get past, you guys. The reality is there are many people who have been transitional voices in my life, many people, some of them actually living. Some of them are voices of people who have gone before me, and some of them are in the text. But the truth is that you either are, will be, or have been somebody's transitional voice. Because every single one of you, me included, have the absolute love of God written and etched into our being, cannot be removed. And for that, that is good news. That should be a turning point 
So those that salvation is something we get to keep referring to over and over and over again in and through one another and the vast love of God that will never run away or go away or be dried up. So yes, this week is about joy regardless of what we face because that hope will never leave. And that gives me great 